You are listening to Spot On, a health and wellness podcast that breaks through the latest media headlines to provide you with accurate and usable information that is, well, spot on, spot on to meet your needs. I am your host, Dr. Joan Salji Blake, a nutrition professor at Boston University and the author of the college textbook called Nutrition and You, which is used in colleges across the United States and abroad. Hello, Spot On listeners and viewers, if you're watching this on YouTube. Um, today, we're going. our topic is, what is the latest on ultra-processed foods? We tackled this topic in season three of Spot On, and now we're in season 10. So we know that a lot has changed in the science community. So we're going to look at the latest research. What is the story about these ultra-processed foods? What do they potentially do to you and your health? But more importantly, are is the ultra-processed food category too large? And are there foods in this category that actually may be quite healthy for you, but they're being lumped together with foods that are not so healthy for you? So we're going to talk more about that and I have a special guest for you. So stay tuned. Okay, so today I invited a very special guest to come on, someone that really has taken a deep dive into this whole topic of ultra-processed foods. Her name is Dr. Felipe Jewell, and she is at New York University, and she is just finishing her fellowship there, and she is a nutrition and chronic disease epidemiologist. And really what she focuses on this is exactly this topic. She focuses on the influence of dietary patterns and diet quality in the development of chronic diseases. And she's really, really had a love of this whole ultra processed food and food processing and how it affects health. And I have to tell you what a wonderful fellowship for you to study this because this is the hottest thing that we know about. So you are just you know, uh, on top of everything. So with that, I want to welcome you to Spot On here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here. You know, I opened the um, uh, the session, Dr. Jewel, with saying about how um, 60% of you know, the foods that Americans eat are in this category of ultra-processed food. And so let's refresh our memories here. So these categories, what are these categories? And can, can you quickly explain what they are? Yes. So the NOVA system was developed in 2010 by researchers at University of Sao Paulo as a way of looking at food through the processing level, the processing it had gone through and the purpose of processing. Um, And it actually does not take into account nutrient composition. So in that way, it's very different from many other classifications. Which is key. And we're going to get into that in a minute. Go ahead. Yeah, there we go. Absolutely. So... um, NOVA classifies food in four groups according to the extent of processing, which includes processing and formulation, um, so the ingredients, but also the purpose of processing. So for minimally processed food or unprocessed foods, these are foods that we um, usually call whole foods. So single ingredient foods, um, they may have undergone some processing, such as cleaning, uh, pasteurization of milk, for instance. Um, milk with added, you know, fortified with vitamin D, et cetera, is still classified as a minimally processed foods. So it's like um, a plain yogurt um, 
with just you know milk and bacteria that's also minimally processed foods um another group group number two are processed culinary ingredients so these are refined substances that we use to cook with so salt sugar uh cream etc so they're derived and, from and vegetable foods. oils too right like olive oil and canola oil exactly right, exactly right, okay. that well depending on the processing that they've mm -hmm. gone through so something like a brominated vegetable oil would obviously which is used as an additive would not be a coloring ingredients but um you know olive oil is um coconut oil butter all of those things are processed coloring ingredients right. and then we have processed foods and processed foods are whole foods that have been processed further with culinary ingredients. So um, these are things like canned beans, mm -hmm. canned tomatoes, canned tuna, um, you know, all sorts of bread, unless they contain additives um, that are specifically um, only used in the industry, such as modified starch and things like that, that we would not be able to uh, cook with in our kitchen. But so processed foods are, are different sorts of packaged foods that have been processed in some way. Uh, but basically, you could replicate these in your own kitchen. Okay. Um, and then we have ultra processed foods and ultra processed foods are characterized uh, that they're mainly composed of uh, very refined and isolated substances. So starches, oils, fats, sweeteners, etc. And um, they have been processed with the purpose of create uh, durable, padable, and also affordable and high pr uh, products with a high profit margin as well. Um, so and also a, a long shelf life too. Exactly, right, exactly. Right. But it's different from the processed foods, which, uh, you know, something like canned tomatoes have also been processed for, uh, in order to enhance uh, preservation and shelf life. Um, whereas, you know, something like a ketchup would be an ultra processed foods if it contains certain additives etc. So uh, ultra processed foods have been processed further and they have less whole, they're not composed mainly of whole foods. Um, they're mainly composed of other very processed ingredients and then have added ingredients that you would not find in your, your home kitchen. So um, cosmetic additives such as uh, food dyes or um, flavor enhancers or things like that, that you would not use at home and they have often undergone processes that are specific to the industry as well we're going in a minute we're going to get into that because i think there's some quite healthy foods in this fourth ultra processed food category that are really quite good for you and we need to tease it out but before we get to that let's rewind and this is you are it my dear what is the what do we know about a diet that is rich in ultra processed foods and you know i'm assuming it's the less healthy of ultra processed foods and your overall health so what are you going to tell us well first of all if we look uh, with the association with diet quality uh, studies that have been conducted in many different populations all across the world have consistently found that um, the higher share of ultra processed in the diet the lower nutritional quality of right. the diet so even though this nova classification doesn't take into account nutrient composition it is kind of a proxy for a lot of the foods that have an unhealthy nutritional profile and that are too high in added sugar um saturated fats sodium etc so people who eat more ultra processed food tend to have higher level uh, higher intakes of added sugars saturated fat sodium while having lower intakes of protein fiber and many micronutrients um, because there's this tendency that ultra processed foods um 
can displace other healthier foods from the diet, that they replace um, other healthful foods instead of being an addition. Right. Um, and we so and we know that Americans are consuming too much added sugar, heart unhealthy saturated fat and heart and unhealthy sodium and also not good for your blood pressure. So we know that those foods are too high in the American diet. We need them brown. And just what you said, we're not getting enough fruits, vegetables and fiber. Okay, so so definitely um, there's a problem. There's a flip flop there. So the other thing that we know um, from epidemiological studies, there have been over seventy prospective cohort studies, so mm -hmm. longitudinal studies when you mm -hmm. follow people over time who are not sick at the beginning of the study, um, looking at ultra processed food intake and various health outcomes, especially chronic diseases and cardiometabolic diseases. And these studies have been very consistent in finding an association. So, and often a linear dose response association. So, the higher consumption of ultra processed food, the the higher risk. Of disease. And they, uh, most of these studies have controlled for aspects of diet quality and nutrient intakes, and these associations still remains. So the evidence support that there is uh, something about ultra-processed foods uh, that makes them associated with um, several um, chronic diseases, specifically obesity, uh, metabolic syndrome, hypertension, diabetes, um, cardiovascular disease, also premature mortality. And there are uh, a few studies on cancer as well that have found an association. Uh, and there seems to be something else than just the nutrient composition of these foods and the diet. So, so what are these foods? What do they do with appetite? Because, you know, we know that um, there were studies that were done and, and people who consumed, you know, more ultra processed food ended up eating more calories. So you can talk a little bit about that. So how does this, those kinds of ultra processed sweets, treats with the added sugars, the sodium, uh, the saturated fat, how does that affect appetite? Well, so we don't fully know the mechanisms so far. Uh, there are many different hypotheses. Um, one of them is that these foods are more energy dense because when you process foods, you take out water, you take out fiber, and you add things like fat and sugar. So they're very energy dense, which is hard for our body to regulate intake um, when foods are very energy dense because, you know, the volume doesn't uh, really correspond to the amount of calories in a food. So that's one hypothesis. The other hypothesis is that, you know, the eating rate of these foods are quicker because they tend to be, you know, very soft in texture uh, or even, you know, if they're crunchy, but there's not, not, it's not like you're chewing on a raw carrot and you have to chew on it for a long time, you know? Um, so they're very quick to eat and that can lead us to overeat. Um, there are other theories as well. Um, these foods are uh, almost like pre-digested in the, the fact that this, the nutrients are not contained in any natural food matrix or in a natural, you know, cell that needs to be degraded. Um, usually there are a lot of, you know, free sugars, um, fats, etc. Everything is kind of readily absorbed by the body. Um, so this has a few implications. First of all, it makes these foods um, more likely to be glycemic, so raising the blood sugar very quickly. And it can also um, influence how satiating they are. So for instance, in our gut, um, in the small intestine, we have cells, um, endro, endocrine cells that actually um, you know, are in charge of hormonal regulation of appetite and hunger, et cetera, and that influence that. Um, so in the case of ultra-processed foods, they're 
absorbed very quickly in the, the first part of the small intestine, uh, whereas these cells that have the sort of nutrient sensing that senses what nutrients are coming into the body are located in the distal part of small intestine. So there may not be many nutrients left, you know, for, for these uh, uh, cells to sense. So that can influence appetite regulation as well. And that was actually seen in the in the study by Kevin Hall et al. that you mentioned, the randomized mm-hmm. controlled trial, that it did um, the ultra-processed diet affected um, a hormone called PYY and GLP-1, which are associated with um, appetite regulation. So that's really interesting. So let's talk about comparison. So you have an orange, okay? They have an orange, yeah. you peel it, you know, and you have... In the orange, you have that wonderful natural sweetness that Mother Nature gave it, but you have fiber and you have water and you have to chew it, right? Yeah. Okay. And then you have an orange shrink, which is just sugar water, colored orange, and that's all it is. So so what you're telling me is that the orange shrink, if you took, would be more rapidly absorbed the upper part of the GI. So back in the lower part of the GI, they're saying like, whoa, 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 whoa. Uh, the, no food came my way because it was already rapidly absorbed. They're like, whoa, whoa. So, hey, hey, keep feeding me so I'm still hungry. Where if you had an orange and it had the fiber and you were chewing it, which I believe has a great uh, slowing you down, that the it would take you longer to eat it. You wouldn't overeat it. And then there would be fiber and everything that would slow the the release of it from the stomach into the GI tract. And because of the fiber and other nutrients in there, that there would be food for the lower intestine. So they wouldn't be starving. All right. So so in other words, is the whole of the food and the more fiber in it, you know, more likely that you're going to be satiated longer and less likely to overeat. Exactly. Exactly. You're absolutely right. And that has not only to do with the fiber content, which is very important, but also the actual food matrix. So the physical form, we tend to think about nutrient, or sorry, about food in forms of nutrients, but the way these nutrients are packaged and the form that we consume them in actually matters as well. So if you eat um, anything from a plant, you know, uh, plant cells have cell walls of mm-hmm. fiber mm-hmm. and some of them may rupture, obviously when you're chewing and, you know, foods will be partially digested in your stomach but you know some cells will remain intact and actually degraded by bacteria in your in your um in your colon and so nutrients are um released from the food in a much slower way and therefore absorbed in a much slower way along the digestive tract compared to if it was just you know simple sugars that are absorbed yeah so in other words you're feeding with the oranges versus the orange drink the oranges are feeding everybody throughout the gi tract the upper the lower and the microbiome and talk about the microbiome because that's really important they need to be fed so that that good bacteria needs to be fed so explain that yeah absolutely so the yeah the bacteria needs to be fed as you say and what we eat will actually influence both the composition of your gut microbiome, but also their metabolic activity, which actually influences our metabolism as well. Um, So basically, bacteria can influence how much energy you harvest from the food as well. So um, 
depending on your or your profile. So we have the first thing that we talked about, the food structure, which may have an effect on the bacteria. And there is some studies um, suggesting that, you know, um, these sorts of acellular nutrients that I talked mm-hmm. about, the, the feed nutrients, that that may cause a more inflammatory gut microbiome mm-hmm. and a more virulent um increased violence uh, factors of some less beneficial bacteria in your gut microbiome. So that's one part of it. The other part is um, if you're eating a, you know, a highly ultra processed food and you're not getting enough fiber, there's not enough foods for these uh, microbiomes uh, and, or oh, sorry, the, the microbes uh, in your microbiome. And they may actually start degrading the mucus along your um, intestinal tract, which may lead to inflammation as right. well. So, um, so, so we know that prebiotics, which is more fiber-rich foods, feed the the, the healthy bacteria in your, in your microbiome. But this is kind of interesting because if, if you don't feed your microbiome, the microbiome says, "Well, I'm going to eat myself," right? Yeah. And it just starts munching on that that uh, uh, microbiome and chewing away at it, which you know is unhealthy. So again, having foods that provide good nutrients, less added sugar, less added sodium, less saturated fat, more fiber. And in now, I love this whole cell metrics thing where there are things going on and you're making your GI tract work to pull out the nutrients from the whole orange. You know, it's like it's like a, you, 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 they're in the gym on, the, on a treadmill trying to work it all out. And so it, it everybody gets fed along the way and you may be more satiated. And and again, what we saw in studies is that, you know, a, an orange that you have to peel is about 60 calories, you know, and a cup of uh, orange drink is going to be about 60, 100 calories, but you can gulp that baby. You can over gulp the drink, but how many oranges can you possibly sit in one sitting, possibly eat? You'd be asleep peeling. So, so again, there's a lot going on with what's happening with the nutrient density of the food, how it is packaged, the, you know, whether there's a lot of um, added sugar or saturated fat in it. And, you know, and, and also, you know, if it tastes good and satisfying. So that brings me to my next point, because can I okay, point in one more thing about the gut I, microbiome? Let me just say something. That is not my next point. It's your point because this is your show. I'm just trying to get information out of it. So you go ahead. Oh, yeah. No, it's absolutely your show, but I'm very happy to be here. Um, I just want to make sure we don't miss anything because, the other, as I said, it's not all about the nutrients. And we talked about the food matrix. But there's also some evidence, both from animal studies and human study, that certain additives also have a negative effect on the gut microbiome. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. So, for instance, um, emulsifiers uh, and some um, non-nutritive sweeteners, artificial sweeteners, have been shown to um, also change the gut microbiome, the profile, and their metabolic activity in ways that may um, increase inflammation and also um, impair glucose uh, metabolism. So I think that's just interesting to keep in mind as well, that, um, you know, a lot of the additives in food are actually not absorbed by the body, but it doesn't mean that they're harmless and just pass through us because they can actually influence the the gut microbiome. And that's something, you know, in classic toxicology studies of these additives, uh, you know, we've never before considered the gut microbiome. The gut microbiome is 
quite new uh, that we've realized uh, its health potential and and how important it is for our health. This is all very, very interesting. The attitudes are really fascinating, but we have to sort of remember, like now we have we have 27 million people that have diabetes. We have 97 million that have pre-diabetes. That means they're on deck to get diabetes within five, seven years if they don't, you know, change their diet and lifestyle. So, you know, those people watching the added sugar in the diet is really, really important. So often go to sugar substitutes, you know, to, uh, you know, because it's like, okay, you know, we know the added sugar is not going to be good and not going to be good for the microbiome either. And it's not going to be for your blood sugars. So go to the alternative. So it's almost like um, the dose makes the poison, right? So it's like if it can help you, these added, these artificial, not artificial sugar substitutes, but you know, we want to make sure they're part of a healthy diet and not the only part of the diet. Well, I think it's very, you know, the evidence is really not clear if they're actually helping us or not. Uh, the VHO did a large systematic review of this and uh, so the World Health Organization. And what they found was that when we looked at randomized controlled trials, short-term studies, mm -hmm. uh, these ad, um, non-nutritional -nutri sweeteners could actually help you lose weight, et cetera. But when we look at epidemiological evidence following people over many, many years, um, many of these are actually associated with a higher risk of diabetes, cardiovascular disease, mortality. And um, there was a recent study, a human experimental study that actually found that sucralose, if you, in, which is a artificial sweetener, if you ingest sucralose on its own, you don't eat or drink anything else. You just have a, you know, diet soda with that. Nothing happens. Uh, it changes your gut microbiome, but nothing happens with your glucose response. But if you eat uh, something with carbohydrates together with the sucralose, it actually impaired the metabolism of those carbohydrates. Hmm, interesting. So that is very interesting because often, you know, people will have a diet soda with their meal or you will eat something, uh, you know, a baked good or something that has carbohydrates, but with a sweetener being um, an artificial sweetener. And you think that, oh, this will be better for my, my glucose response, but in fact, it may not be. But in that study, was it a realistic ratio of carbohydrate to yeah. the sucralose? Yeah. So it wasn't like the big bolus amount of sucralose and carbohydrate. Very interesting and very interesting to watch. So keep your eye on for that. I'm looking for more science to, to come, you know, in, about that. Um, but, you know, these studies that show, this happens all the time, studies that show that people that, you know, drink diet sodas tend to have higher weight. And the question is, you know, are they drinking the diet sodas because they're eating the whole bag of potato chips? You know, they think what they saved in the diet soda calories, they're going to make up for the whole bag of potato chips. So what feeds what in this? And they, they're thinking they're doing good with the diet soda, but they're eating, you know, you know, the whole box of, um, you know, Oreos or what's going on here. Well, I, I think that's a danger when we become too focused on nutrients right. is that we lose sight of what is actually um, you know, good for us and what would be a healthful food. Right. It's like, oh, but the five, the package says high fiber, low sugar. So it's good for me right. uh, without really, you know, thinking, is this actually a nutritious food? You know, that's so exactly I think, right. I think, yeah. And I mean, that's nutrient claims are a very used marketing strategy right, of right. many foods. Right. So you, you got to be careful because something that could be on, just say an orange drink with all that added sugar and they decided to add fiber to it 
that doesn't make it a high fiber drink that makes it that a drink that has a lot of added sugar and they just added the fiber. The nutritional quality is not the same as that whole orange. Exactly. It doesn't make it a healthy, healthy food. That's right. That's right. Now, what I wanted to talk about, because I know that this ultra processed foods in this whole category is pretty complicated and, and there are some foods in this ultra processed food category was the fourth one that may actually provide some good nutrition, especially for people, um, you know, time impaired, you know, who's, who's, who, who isn't time impaired, you know, um, and, and looking at maybe some foods that were in this group that um, are be giving, you know, maybe some negative name calling about it, but they can actually work. And, and I know that you and I have looked at this study that was in a journal of nutrition and it was very fascinating. And, and what this woman did was look at um, a group of people, I should say, look at the, the foods that were in this group. And could you, could you make a healthy diet by eating foods in the, in this, in what that are category in this ultra processed food. And she came up with a, the, the team came up with saying that, you know, there are some healthy foods in there that when she puts a diet together, it's called the healthy eating index and a healthy eating index. She came out with a rating of, I think it was like 86 or something, you know, so she said she got like a B plus on, on it. And so looking at the quality of the diet out of a hundred, you know, you could have like a B plus diet eating these foods. Now that leads me, that's what I want to talk about because I don't want people to think that feel bad about eating like whole wheat bread that comes from a, 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 a food company. Whole wheat bread has got tons of fiber in it or seven grains as such and feel bad about making their children's lunch with whole grain bread. You know, and 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 that would be because of you know, additives or whatever, decreased shelf life, whatever taste would be in this ultra processed food. So would yogurts, you know, flavored yogurts would be in there. Hummus would be in there because it's got guar gum added well, to it. That, that that's, um, I want to jump in here because, um, you know, whole wheat bread doesn't have to be ultra processed. Many whole wheat breads are not. So it all depends on the ingredients, right? And there's really no reason why they would be ultra processed. Uh, same thing with hummus. You can find plenty of hummus in the supermarket that are not ultra processed and that the, don't have these additional additives. The ones that have additional additives are usually lower quality, quality and they have to add cosmetic additives to improve the flavor or the texture, etc. So, you know, why would you choose a subpar hummus that needs gums or other things when it's perfectly um, possible to have a hummus that doesn't have anything of that. It still has long shelf life. I buy hummus all the time, stays in my fridge forever. Uh, But I look at the ingredients. Um, So there's really no reason why a yogurt, a whole wheat bread or hummus would be ultra processed, except that the the, uh, company is trying to increase their profits by creating more margin and selling a cheaper product. I have to tell you, because I went and I looked at this with the hummus and the hummus I got, both of them, I just, I happened to put one was organic, right? That's a whole other uh, episode. And one was, you know, 
a commercial one. And it basically just had hummus and, you know, and then the guar gum. And because of that, it would have been this ultra processed category. And, and what I say to that is people are trying so hard to eat healthy and do good for themselves. And gosh, food prices are astronomically crazy. So to try to feed your family or even yourself on a food budget, these foods may be cheaper, but they still provide wonderful, good nutrition. And we're going to go back to this study that this researcher did, that they found out that the nutritional quality of these foods that were in this category of ultra processed food really came out with a pretty darn good grade. And the average American's grades for a healthy index was 59. 59 at Boston University is a flunk, you flunk the exam. And so when you say, when we look at, when we look at, you know, American diets and that, you know, their diets are not nutrient quality. Well, if the average is 59, yeah, they flunked it. And that's why maybe we have incidents of heart disease, certain cancer and type two diabetes. But all I want to try to do is I want to try to protect people from feeling bad about feeding, you know, foods that like a whole wheat bread or the hummus with the guar gum, you know, because it's a good price and the kids like it with baby carrots and, you know, or whole grain cereals that don't really have that much added sugars, you know, and, 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 and they're in there with, you know, the creamy puffy puppy foods, you know what I mean? So there's like a big difference in that. So, Oh, you know, I just want to, I don't want people to feel bad about trying to feed themselves on a budget and try to do the best that they can. And so, oh, you know, nobody wants that. And I don't right. think, you know, I, I, I think the U.S. does not have a 59, um, you know, it doesn't imply that they eat that much hummus. You know, I don't think the hummus is the, is the, no, is the you're issue. Right. Absolutely. Um, it absolutely. So. So right. I think I think it's actually I think it's detrimental. There's been so much focus on that, you know, certain foods of a certain brand that contain a certain additives could be ultra processed. And then people are like, oh, wow, we can't say that we can't we shouldn't eat ultra processed because this, you know, these two foods, some brands are ultra processed. We we may discourage people from eating them. I don't think that's a risk at all. I mean, the U.S. has a real problem with eating way too much you know, junk food and most ultra processed foods are junk food. And I think we have to just, you know, call it for what it is. And I, I think it's a concept that people can actually understand. And I don't think it will uh, shame people for, for eating hummus with a certain gum in. I think it will more um, make people realize that to choose foods that are whole foods based rather than, you know, you have no idea what this even was. And totally, when I totally study agree. you, the study you talked about, you know, I looked at it and and the, the thing that bothers me a little bit with it is the kind of foods that they chose. If you actually look at the menu, mm -hmm. most of those foods are actually processed. They probably, you know, found a brand that had an additive. But, you know, I see canned black beans, canned diced tomatoes, mm -hmm. um, mozzarella cheese. You can find plenty of options that are just same price, but don't have the additives, right? So this doesn't really represent the type of ultra processed foods that Americans eat on a daily basis. Uh, in this study, they kind of used, um, you know, basically processed foods, but with additives to assemble 
meals and diets. Uh, so some light cooking, you know, they made a taco salad and a breakfast burrito. You know, for many Americans, they actually go out and buy, you know, a ready-made breakfast burrito or, you know, a taco salad is not really, you know, they don't make the salad, you're right. That's the, that's the problem. I think uh, using processed foods to um, make, you know, fast meals with vegetables, I think that's great. You know, use all the canned uh, legumes, uh, vegetables, etc. that you want, the frozen vegetables, you know, make it easy. I also saw on this list, they had included rotisserie chicken as an ultra processed food, which is definitely not an ultra processed food. Um, you know, but, that's, if it, but if it was seasoned heavily and if it was well, in a seasoning package, does not make it ultra processed, well, that, you uh, could make a it depends upon what was seasoned and what was added to it, right? It could have been ultimately, if it had some degrees. That's what I'm trying to get at here is that do you think in rather than this big category of ultra processed foods, we may pull some things out that are convenient and shelf stable, like the hummus or whatever, and affordable, but really good for you because let's follow the nutrient density and then leave the you know, the sweets and treats and yeah, you know, that's the ultra processed foods, you know, the, the, the soft drinks where the majority of the soda, uh, sodas and sweetened beverages are coming from. But you think we could have another group here, in other words, pull out some of these conveniently processed, oh, what, what is called now ultra processed food and really say that you can, these are healthy foods and they are affordable and feel good feeding your family on a very limited budget having that. That's really all I, I'm trying to get at is that I'm just wondering if by accident or, or when we first started this category of foods, we dumped some foods in this ultra processed category, foods that maybe aren't half bad. Maybe we can make a subgroup or maybe make five groups and, and one that isn't so bad because I think what happens is when when they are, there are studies to show that when families with lo low income and very tight food budgets, they feel bad buying you know canned vegetables or frozen vegetables because they think they're not as nutrient rich. Well, those are not ultra processed, so they should yeah, not feel bad no, about those. If, those have never been if, an ultra processed. If, all I'm trying to say is if there are canned like the hummus is in that ultra processed food category. Don't make them feel bad. That's all I'm trying to do. I mean, we're totally on, on agreement that, you know, foods that have no nutritional value and high added sodium and, and sugar and um, uh, saturated fat aren't going to give you calories and nothing else. All I'm just trying to say is that maybe there's a middle ground for some kind of foods that could be judged on their nutrient density as well um, and it's important that they give nutrients to that and they may be affordable and really and healthy and improve the diet of those Americans that got a 59, which is because they're eating all the sweets and treats on there. See, that's what all I'm just trying to say. I just want to make, I, I just think that down the road is I'm wondering and look in your crystal ball, do you think that we'll start maybe looking at this ultra processed group and maybe teasing another subgroup out of it. What do you think? Well, so I think it's really important to figure out the mechanisms, right? So we so we know what is actually harmful or not. And that 
obviously for different additives, it may be different harms associated with it. I think for everybody, you know, eating more whole foods will be better option for us. You know, an ultra processed mm-hmm, sure. food will never be be healthier and a hummus with additives will not be healthier than a hummus without additives. Then obviously we need to maybe understand what additives are in hummus. You know, what's the problem there? But the most, the grand majority of the group that we're talking about are not whole foods based and they may displace other foods from the diet. Absolutely. And that I, I think in the end, it really is about looking out for the the people who um have the worst diet quality, who have the most limited resources, because so many of these ultra processed foods are marketed to them as being affordable, as being healthy, because we're focusing so much on the nutrients. Um, so I, I think that's, you know, really um, a disservice against them. Right. So that's going um, back to taking the orange chicken and adding fiber to it. So we just have yeah. a high fiber sugar drink. Absolutely. I think we're on the same page on that. It's, I just think that um, I was just thinking and I've talked to people and they're thinking that, that that this may come down the line where we look at some foods that are in that ultra processed group that maybe are not that bad and um, could help people go from a 59 score to maybe, you know, a 70, 80 score if we taught them that these may be more processed, but they're still darn good for you. And they're really, really affordable. So, you know, well, uh, I, I'm, I'm thinking, I'm hoping that's maybe something down the line that could help everybody on a, on whatever budget they're on to eat more healthy. I just want to say two points about the study, because the way they actually chose the food was to choose the foods and then find ultra processed version of them. So basically find a brand that had an additive, right? So you could make this exact menu um, without it being ultra processed you know, because most of these foods are either minimally processed or you can find processed versions. And there's there's really no reason to suspect that it would be more expensive to do that. Um, oh, I, I'm not sure about that. I, I, I think I think <laughs> food prices are really real. I mean, just I mean, just to show you, organic food, you know, food produce typically is going to Typically, it's going to cost more than traditionally grown. Of course. And there's no science to say that the organic is any more nutritious for you than traditionally grown. So so I, I think, you know, I think it's a it, it's very, very complicated. But I think uh, all I guess we want to do is all maybe possibly come to the table and figure out what's the best affordable way to feed people, everybody, no matter what that that your budget is. Because of course. we want to get foods more in their natural form because of all the wonderful things you just said to you, but we want to do it in a way that's convenient for a family of four or six or whatever, but two adults working and homework and everything like that. And in the budget, that food budget that they have here. And I, I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going to next do a episode on food as medicine. And which Great, is fascinating. Fantastic. And and it, and a lot of that is, you know, how can we get people on limited budgets access to healthy foods that are affordable, more to the whole way they came into Mother Nature made them. And that's Great. I mean, everybody wants that. And how we can help them take this healthy food and quickly prepare it because they don't even know how to prepare it in the kitchen. You know, they get a they get a, a head of cauliflower and they don't know where to begin with it. You know, and so that we could, you know, help people make these foods more affordable, teach them how to possibly make it 
especially if you're on a, in a limited kitchen. Some people have only going to have a full kitchen so everybody can eat more healthily. So I, I think this is a, a, a complicated uh, topic, but I'm excited about it. I'm excited about it. And I'm excited about the movement that that we're talking about this because, you know, we know, and 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 thank you for you for doing all your research on this to find out about those interesting uh, ways that ultra processed food are those high in added sugar, sodium, and little nutrition, how they are metabolized, digested, and absorbed differently than regular. And I think that is absolutely fascinating. And I'm sure you're going to find some more to do that. So, with that. I want to thank you again for coming on Spot On. Great. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. Spot On is supported by the Boston University Sargent College's Master of Science degree in Nutrition program. Log on to bu.edu to learn more about this fabulous nutrition graduate program. Thank you for listening to Spot On. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This way you'll get every new episode every week. And by the way, leave us a nice review. And can you also like us on our Spot On Facebook page and suggest topics for future episodes? Please follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Joan Salgy Blake. And oh, by the way, can you send this episode to five of your friends? Do I ask a lot of you? <laughs>